What do you want a daughter? What do you want a daughter? I have not a doll with a daughter. We could switch to progress in a doll. Oh, yeah. We could switch to progress on za. Okay. We could za and have to buy some za. Oh, yeah. Let's switch to progress at a doll and get some za with the money we saw. Yeah. Now we know we're going to da da da. These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. It might just be the most normal thing you da da da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast. Kunal, we have yet another double header. Singapore is done and Russia is only a few days away. So tell me, what's up? Well, you know, when uh, double headers offer such good races like Singapore did, we tend to not be able to discuss the first race of the double header as much. Because imagine this, if we discuss Singapore now, you're going to tune out just because you're expecting some stuff about Russia. Guys, don't go. <laughs> but Kunal, I know what you mean. You know, there's one more doubleheader coming up. In fact, USA and Mexico. Well, specifically, it is Mexico and then the USA. Yeah, yeah. A certain Trump might not approve that Mexico gets to host the race before the USA. But <laughs> what to do? Or Kunal, maybe Trump just wanted to have the last word after Mexico, you know. To, uh, so that's what people ended with. Okay, the only politics I'm good at is the politics. So Formula One <laughs> and you're hosting the Inside Line F1 podcast every weekend. So it's good to speak to you guys again. But we will do justice to Singapore in this episode, only that it'll be a later part of the show. And personally, I think uh, it was a very good race. At least the first two thirds of the Singapore Grand Prix was a lot of fun. Yeah, but before you go on, Kunal, let's tell our listeners what's in store for them in this episode. Guys, we wonder why Red Bull Racing has become Red Bull Missing of late. <laughs> We look forward to Russia. Can Mercedes be beaten here? And we also pick our five moments from Singapore. And guess what? There's one more Schumacher aiming to become a Formula One driver. This time, it's Ralph's son, David. So remember to subscribe to the Inside Line F1 podcast. That's the channel name. Uh, on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and every other audio streaming platform for your weekly dose of Formula One humor. And uh, now usually we discuss Singapore first, like I said, and then go to Russia. But this time we're going to do a reverse grid on this episode since, <laughs> since it's like the talk of the paddock. Yeah, I, I'm sure our listeners would approve. <laughs> uh, but speaking of which, uh, reverse grids, Kunal, what are your views? Well, I think they're good in the junior series because they're there for a reason to allow drivers to showcase their skills and talent and overtaking and all of that. But guys, this is Formula One. It's the pinnacle of motorsport. And here, I think we need to have a limit on all possible gimmicks when it comes to racing. Like, for example, the reverse grids and even the DRS. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. But this time you're an illustrious company because Vettel and Hamilton have both called bullshit on this idea. And uh, by the way, this is really funny, but after losing three races to Ferrari... Hamilton now says that he could lose the entire Drivers' Championship in 2019 if Mercedes just don't up their game. Well... You know, honestly, I think it's these sort of gimmicks that need to be avoided as well. Silly statements. Lewis Hamilton is 96 points ahead of the Ferrari drivers, and that's nearly four race wins. So even if he finishes third, 
in the remaining six races, he's going to be world champion. And guys, I'm not even doing the math here because I think it's a simple statistic. But I'm still going to go back to reverse grades. I'm sort of reversing back a few minutes in the episode. <laughs> um, you know, there's a very famous uh, paddock personality out there who said that drivers will, of course, oppose reverse grades because it makes them work harder and so on and so forth. But let's remember that this so-called paddock personality is hired by Formula One. So keep that filter when you sort of hear, uh, you know, who you hear your opinions from. Why don't from. you just name the paddock personality? No, because we are an independent <laughs> podcast. So we are just going to move on from here. But, you know, Kunal, the whole time you were talking about that, I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, only six races to go this season. And... You know, that kind of sucks. I wish they'd just extend the 2019 calendar itself. <laughs> I mean, why wait till 2020 to have a longer season, right? You know, talking of the calendar, Formula 2 and Formula 3 have decided to drop Paul Ricard, the venue of the French Grand Prix, from their calendar in 2020. They have chosen to go to Sandford instead. And come to think of it, there are reports that Zanfood needs to raise money to be able to host Formula 1 next year. But come to think of it, I'm sure the Max Verstappen magic is going to work, you know. Somebody or the other will come forward and support the race for the fans, for the money, for Max Verstappen, you know. Yeah, I mean, back to Paul Ricard. Uh, I wish Formula 1 could also drop this circuit as well. I mean, yes, I am reacting to the dud of a race that we had this year. So you get, you guys get my drift right now, at least. Yep. We discussed the use of the black and white flag way before it became big news for everyone else to follow. Uh, but I heard that a lot of drivers seem to think that this flag allows them to cross the limit a little bit, at least once in the race. You know, true. The black and white flag has actually raised more questions. But quite frankly, uh, Michael Massey, the... Uh, FIA race director has clarified it very well. He said that the flag doesn't mean that what was illegal before is now legal. Interesting. And I loved Kevin Magnuson's response on this. He actually said that racing and stewarding both involve humans, so it will never be absolutely in black and white. I wonder if he was trying to hint that we should just reintroduce the black and white flag as the grey flag or something. <laughs> we will ask him when we see him next. Uh, by the way, Magnussen will be looking uh, at racing in other series in parallel to Formula 1. And I'm told that he will be racing at the 24 hours of Daytona in January 2020. Interesting. Yeah. Um, guys, you all remember we'd interviewed Magnussen not too long ago on this podcast. Um, and that time he'd said that he would love to go racing with his father um, Jan Magnussen and have his father as his teammate. And his father is still an active racer. I believe, he, if I remember right, when I was doing the Lamar broadcast, he was a participant there. So there's a good possibility of the Magnussens getting together, you know, and racing together as teammates. And this will definitely please the millions of Danish listeners that we have on our podcast. Right, so Kevin Magnussen's race in Singapore was impacted by a plastic bag that got stuck in his front wing. It was just so unfortunate. Yeah, I think I can now see Magnussen joining Hamilton's crusade against the use of plastic sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's eventually going to join the crusade to save the planet. So, you know, we all have our reasons and Magnussen's could be just <laughs> one lost race like that. But uh, we also know that Robert Kubica, he announced that he's going to leave Formula 1 this time for good and... I think this time he said that it is his decision to just leave the sport because the last time he was forced, 
so to say. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I know he only announced his departure from Williams, but we get what you mean. Uh, I don't think he's getting a seat anywhere else. Um, Unless it's like a test driver in a simulator or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely not a racing seat. But uh, talking about Kubica, that basically means he has just six more races in Formula One. And um, guys, I actually had the opportunity to interview him at Spa. And... I had asked him then what he had to say about the season ahead. Obviously, back then, we didn't know what his future would be. But I think everyone was guessing, you know, that he wouldn't have a race. Yeah, it was, it was more like, you know, how soon and not if, so to say. Exactly. Right. And frankly, Kubica's story to me is of three parts. You know, the first part is of his career in Formula One as a BMW racer. And we know how good he really was back then. The second part was his comeback to the sport, which in itself is very heroic. And the third has been his nightmarish season with Williams. Yeah, I think I'd agree with your classification. Kunal, his comeback has just been so inspiring in every single way. Uh, there are reports of him racing in DTM next year. I really hope that that like lets him resurrect his image and his form and, you know, just his spirit, really. Yes, so on to Russia. There are reports that uh, Sochi's last Formula One Grand Prix will be in 2020, which is next year after which Formula One uh, could switch to racing at a circuit in St. Petersburg. So I think Formula One is going to work really, really hard to keep Russia, especially a certain Mr. Ecclestone, because Kunal, that's one race where he can show his power and might (laughs) and clout. You know, when Putin walks in mid-race and greets Bernie and then Chase Carey and whoever else, but of course, Bernie (laughs) first. (laughs) That's the power, right, in Formula One. But it's it's interesting. We are going to see Vladimir Putin enter mid-race, uh, you know, with people wearing glares. And suddenly the TV director is going to cut to it. And that's what's going to happen this weekend, guys. Look out for it. We called it first. <laughs> yes. What we're also going to call first is the fact that there could be two Schumachers in Formula 1 pretty soon. Uh, in Russia, we're going to have uh, David Schumacher race in Formula 3. And in Formula 2, of course, Mick is going to be racing as well. Uh, you know, basically Mick's cousin, David, because David is Ralph Schumacher's son. And his debut will be in Formula 3, which is uh, also going to be fought between Robert Schwartzman, a Ferrari junior driver, and India's fastest racing car driver right now, Jehan Daruwala. So that's going to be an interesting Formula 3 weekend as well. Very cool. And I think up till now, we've all just been talking about having one Schumacher in Formula 1. Uh, how soon before we have two? Let's watch. Well, one of our listeners, he wrote to us on Facebook, Fabian Wild, if that's the pronunciation of his last name. He said that he has seen David in action on track in go-karts and in the Formula 4 championships. And he reckons that David is actually faster than Mick. Very interesting. That would be a switcheroo for the Schumacher brothers. <laughs> but interesting times ahead for Formula 1 and the Schumacher family. Well, this episode is titled Red Bull Missing, so let's really get on to talking about that. The post-summer break hasn't been the best for Red Bull Racing. Yes, we are just three races in, but that's like one-third of the second half of the season. That's over already, and the one-third of the season has been won by Ferrari. That's (laughs) the interesting part. But we are going to stick to speaking about Red Bull Missing right now. Yeah, that's true. Let's not have them missing from this podcast as well. So in Spa, we know Verstappen had a crash and Monza, Verstappen had a penalty. So they've had some pretty unexpected results coming their way. Yes, the podium in Singapore, although was unexpected too, because Red Bull Racing were the third quickest car out there. 
By the way, for Russia, all the Honda-powered drivers, uh, basically Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso drivers, they've taken on engine penalties. So it seems like they're clearly doing all they can to use 2019 to build up to 2020. Yes, because in 2020, they can't use the same excuse for building up in 2021. (laughs) So they'd rather use this season. But the good part is that despite being on the back foot and lacking outright pace, Max Verstappen hasn't pulled off any silly moves yet. You know, he's not been overdriving the car and creating chaos for himself and everyone else around him. And that's actually a very good sign for Red Bull Racing and the Max Verstappen fans. True, and Alex Albon's races in the other Red Bull Racing car have been pretty decent too. Well, not if you ask Danny Kivan. Oh, no. Uh, Helmut Marko said that the fight for 2020 uh, for the second seat at Red Bull Racing is between Gasly and Albon. And uh, Gasly went on to say that he drives naturally at Toro Rosso. Well, I'm not surprised he said that, you know. Yeah. Basically, I think we all know what's going to happen in the short term. And I think after a point, people don't care that much about the second Red Bull Racing seat. (laughs) I mean, I, I honestly don't care who they put in there. I think yeah. the focus is always just going to be They could just on... give it to Wilner or Rosberg <laughs> or to you for that matter for all we care. I wouldn't last more than a couple of laps yet. <laughs> I could get fit for it. Who knows? But I think in the Red Bull uh, racing scheme of things, anyone is welcome in the second seat but Fernando Alonso. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and uh, this reminds me, Jacques Villeneuve said that for Haas, Hulkenberg is no better than Romain Groschon. And, you know, when I first heard this, I thought it made no sense. It was a typical Jacques Villeneuve comment. Because, you know, Hulkenberg has scored more points and all of that. And you guys know what I mean. Yeah, Kunal, to me, it still doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't make sense what Haas has done or what Villeneuve has said. But anyway, let's let that pass. Yes, but, uh, you know, I I don't think it's undoable in any way now. Unless some miracles happen, I don't think... Nico Hulkenberg is going to have a very competitive seat in Formula 1. That is if at all he gets a seat in Formula 1, right? But before we uh, hand it over to Lucien for his moments in time section for Russia, let's do a quick listicle. Let's talk about five things we observed in Singapore. And ladies first. Oh, thank you. Uh, So Lewis Hamilton said that it is tougher to overtake in Singapore than in Monaco. And uh, Kunal, I highly doubt that what Sainz, Ricardo, Stroll, Grosjean, I don't think any of them would agree because they had this massive scrap on the last lap. It was some intense, close racing. And, you know, the best part uh, is that they weren't even in contention for scoring points. Yes, and thank you for not showing us this crap, dear Formula One, because it was something that we would have you really... Said no, I said scrap. <laughs> but I said scrap because it was a scrap. <laughs> Uh, even though the race was a little crap towards the end, but let's move on. <laughs> and then we had Vettel and Leclerc and Verstappen overtaking drivers to get to their final podium position. So there was a lot of overtaking, Lewis. Yes. And my my pick is Ferrari. You know, I'm going to summarize my pick for Ferrari because there's a lot to say. I've written a lot about this. You guys can read about it on my podcast. But yes, here it goes. Ferrari needed Sebastian Vettel to win. You know, to reignite his mojo and all of that and stuff like that, okay? Vettel wasn't the quickest driver at Ferrari, okay? We all know that. Leclerc, you know, qualified him, was leading the race. But Vettel got lucky and a lot of times in life, that's what we all need. All of us 
sometimes are just waiting for that change in luck. Yeah, or maybe it was the handwritten letters from the fans that did it for Vettel. Kunal, can you believe it? Uh, Vettel thanked fans for their letters. And I was just so thrilled to know that in this day and age of the internet, people are still sending him letters. Well, actually speaking, there may be no other way for one to read Sebastian Vettel than sending him handwritten letters via airmail. Uh, right? That's a good and, point. Yeah, <laughs> and I must say I love Sebastian Vettel's old school ways, you know, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, honestly, he seems like this two-sided personality. One where there's this ruthless racer playing all the politics he can, getting everyone to sort of, you know, gravitate towards him in a team and multi-21 and all of that, right? Because he wants to be the most successful racer that he can be. And then on the other edge, you know, or the other side, he's got this really heartwarming, humane self, very humble. And it's just so fascinating to see both sides of the personalities come out ever so often. Yeah, I hope that the Vettel that we want, the Vettel that Formula One so desperately needs, is back. Well, honestly, I think it's going to take more than just the victory in Singapore. Because deep down inside, Vettel knows that his win was all strategy and that Leclerc was still quicker in Singapore. And I can tell you that Leclerc's biggest learning in defeat was the team politics at play at Ferrari. This was literally a crash course for him. huh? But let's remember, Ferrari's strategy gave them a 1-2 finish instead of what could have been a 1-3 finish. I think Ferrari's 2019 campaign has worked, or at least it started working now. And uh, I also hope that however late it may be, but uh, the overall beneficiary should be Formula One. It is. I mean, you know, uh, Ferrari versus Mercedes is always headlines grabbing stuff. But to wrap up this point, the only question Leclerc would have asked Ferrari in the post-race debrief was, you know, is there any other way the team could have scored a 1-2 in Singapore? And I'm guessing the answer would have been no. Yeah, uh, Luca Montezimolo, interestingly, he said that Leclerc reminds him of Nicky Lauda. And Ross Brown said that uh, Leclerc reminds him of Michael Schumacher. So lots of comparisons going on. You know, Sebastian Vettel reminded people and still reminds people of Michael Schumacher. So I'd say let Leclerc be Leclerc, you know, let him build his own personality, his own style and his own following and form, you know, and, and identity in Formula One. Absolutely, Kunal. I could not agree more. And in fact, this brings me to the third point. So Mercedes, they use team orders to maximize their points hall too. And this was despite being ahead in both the championships. You know, honestly, Valtteri Bottas got screwed twice over in Singapore. First, when Hamilton drove past him in qualifying, and then we all know what happened to them in the race. It's going to be interesting to see how and if and when Mercedes can pay back Bottas for team orders in Singapore. And uh, in fact, now come to think of it, I'm wondering if he got any payback at all for Russia last year. Uh, remember when he gave up the race win for Hamilton? Yes, and certainly I will not take up being Valtteri Bottas's accountant, especially when it comes to understanding pay and pay back from Mercedes because that <laughs> is something that I don't think will ever fall in line in the books. In fact, Kunal, uh, I'm going to put out the fourth point. Red Bull racing or Red Bull missing? That should have been their headline in Singapore because they were basically missing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let's remember that if Ferrari were expected to be the favourites in Monza and Spa, Red Bull racing was expected to lead the charge in Singapore. I know, and I sort of missed having Max Verstappen, you know, in the fight for the lead. 
because there was some great strategy from Red Bull Racing to jump both the Mercedes cars and get a podium. And can you imagine, had Ferrari not blinked when they did with, you know, Sebastian Vettel, Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen would have been in the lead of the race. Can you actually imagine that? Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a master stroke of strategy from Red Bull Racing. And that's also when everyone would have trolled Ferrari for not having pitted Vettel or Leclerc and losing the race despite being in the lead. So, damned if you do and damned if you don't for Ferrari. Poor Ferrari. And the fifth and final point, McLaren. They're scoring the best of the rest result at all types of circuits. Uh, In Singapore, it was Lando Norris and it was his first ever race in Singapore. So, absolutely amazing. And uh, Carlos Sainz, who made a first lap puncture, he almost made it to the points as well. You know, I can't wait for McLaren to find themselves closer to the fronter part next season, hopefully. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. McLaren should be and will be considering an engine switch sooner or later. And Zach Brown, we know you're listening. So let's remind you, it is never too late to look for more power. Absolutely. Yes. So closing notes. The slow race pace in Singapore saw Antonio Giovinazzi become an unexpected race leader. Can you imagine? And then That's he, off his bucket list, huh? Yes. Lead and, a Formula One race. Check. And that, that too at a time when his contract is sort of being discussed and there's this big question arc, will it be him or will it be Nico Hulkenberg? You know, and Antonio Giovinazzi then helped Ferrari that much more in the race by blocking the Mercedes drivers when they came up to overtake him, you know, behind. So... That was really good on both counts. Yeah, and not to mention the clean passage he gave his Ferrari seniors. So of good course, job. yes. <laughs> I think Ferrari will intervene to give him a year's extension. Hopefully his last lap mistake in Spa is forgiven and forgotten. Yes, and George Russell said that Lewis Hamilton is the most complete driver he has known. I think it's time that we introduce George Russell to a certain Fernando Alonso. And while we arrange for that, guys, here's Moments in Time with Lucien for all of y'all. Welcome to Moments in Time with Lucien Byfield. This time, we shall look back on the history of the Russian Grand Prix. There have actually been some pretty amazing moments to look back on, and one of the most famous involved the torpedo himself, Daniel Kvyat at a time in his career that was to see him demoted from the Red Bull top team and sent back to Toro Rosso, ultimately leading him to lose his drive for over a year. The irony of this episode in 2016 was that Sebastian Vettel, after clashing with Kvyat in the previous race and amazingly being hit by him twice in this race, was seen talking to Horner and co at Red Bull despite no longer driving for them. Yet, he somehow played his own part in getting Daniil demoted. Even further irony, it has been Sebastian Vettel who has been possibly the most notoriously messed up driver since then. Almost like karma has finally caught up with him. Multi-21. His dirty block on Hamilton last year was disgusting. Yes, yes, yes. There is Grosjean too, challenging for that title of worst driver, consistently so. And he had a mammoth crash here in 2015. The same weekend where we saw Carlos Sainz go head-on into a safety barrier and remain stuck there for what seemed like an eternity. But one of the great tangles that year was between the up-and-coming Bottas in a Williams at the time and Kimi Raikkonen in the Ferrari. Kimi, possibly rattled by the emergence of another Finn, he was to make a very dodgy rookie-style error, lunging from way too far back and taking the helpless Bottas out. One amazing statistic in 2016 
We would have seen Nico Rosberg get his first ever Grand Slam in a weekend. That being pole, the win, leading all laps and getting the fastest lap too. This circuit has not often yielded a true classic race. Most punters seem to want it removed from the calendar. I actually love it, visually and technically. But to make matters even worse for the Russians, not only have Mercedes won all five races so far, the team were to employ team orders last year, holding back Bottas. Now Toto Wolff, the manager at Mercedes, had promised he would not intervene, and yet he went back on his word, asking Bottas to comply, which Bottas stupidly did. For me, the man to watch this weekend is Valtteri Bottas. He has shone in the Williams and the Mercedes, bagging podiums for both, and in recent years scoring a win and leading last year comfortably. He is again for the third season running, falling terribly behind his teammate Lewis Hamilton, and has just come from Singapore having to yield yet again via team orders. This weekend is all about can Bottas come back from the brink? For if Hamilton wins, Bottas will forever be ruined, especially after starting this year so strongly. But watch out for those Ferraris on that pit straight. Well, that's it for Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. Catch you later. Lucien, thank you so much. That was so interesting as always. Guys, you can listen to Lucien's music on Bandcamp. He goes by the name Lucien Byfield and he is a professional musician. Great, Kunal. Time for predictions. Uh, in fact, TJ, thank you for writing to us. We are on our Facebook page. And yes, we try and work hard on our predictions. In fact, we get our predictions in much before the Grand Prix weekend. So uh, it's also based on a little bit of luck and fortune, I'd say. Yes, and honestly, I'm the worst when it comes to predicting before the race. Because I just read some statistics from the last few races or last few races at that circuit and uh, if you really want to know my race predictions, I, I think I do a better job of in-race predictions, especially when it comes to strategy. So you guys can follow me on Twitter at the rate Kunal A. Shah to read my real-time insights from the race. Hamilton believes that Ferrari will be hard to beat at the remaining races. And um, Mika Hakkinen is sure that Ferrari has the best car in Formula 1 right now. And Toto Wolff thinks that Ferrari are quick. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle their in-team battles. So lots of news there. Yes, and for once, you know, I think Wolff would be very happy that he's not the one with intra-team rivalries to handle, you know. <laughs> what like, a relief. Yeah, and, but anyway, since we were talking of predictions, I think I'm going to, just out of pure gut, pick Ferrari for the win. It's, it's a 1.1 kilometer long straight out there in Russia. And I really think Ferrari is going to make the most of their straight line speed advantage. And just to challenge you, I'm going to say that I think Mercedes will be back on top, uh, back to proving that they actually have the best package out there. Mercedes have actually won all the races held so far at Sochi. But it would be great to see someone break their dominance. It should also be remembered that Valtteri Bottas won his first ever Formula 1 race at Russia in 2017. Last year, we know what happened. He was, you know, in, he was in the running for the lead and then he was asked to sort of give his race win up for Lewis Hamilton. So I'd love to see what Botas is able to pull out at Sochi this year. And anyway, you know, the title sponsor just reminds us of Valtteri Botas each time <laughs> you see, you know, each time you see their branding come up. But I'm going to say I also feel for Red Bull Racing and even more so for Max Verstappen. 
because after the highs in the, from the first half of the season and Kunal, they won two races where they beat Ferrari fair and square. Now they're settling in for third place. Yes, and Red Bull missing will make for interesting discussions in the Max Verstappen camp. Do they bail out of the Red Bull racing Honda project? And if so, how soon? On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. And we'll see you guys very, very soon after Russia. Till then, keep racing. Adios.